Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. Our mission is to live the way of Jesus so we can leave the world better than we found it. If you'd like more information about our church, you can click on the link in the show notes or head to Christ-community.com. All right, let's get started. So let's continue worshiping in the reading and preaching of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Ellen. Let me see if I can put this down here and raise it up. Give myself as much space as possible to not knock their microphones over. Uh, good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. Let me pray for us uh, as we step into Uh, hearing from God's word this morning. Lord, we ask that we would hear from you uh, in and through your word, uh, that you have something for us. We believe that uh, this morning. We know that to be true. uh, And we ask that you would impress that upon our hearts. We know that ultimately, uh, it's the good news of Jesus. Uh, You have the good news of Jesus for us this morning. Uh, to press into our hearts in in some way, uh, in some uh, there's some aspect that we need to believe the good news anew, and so we ask Holy Spirit, would you meet us here? Uh, I ask that for my own heart uh, as well. Uh, we don't want to come here and just parrot nice words and go home unchanged. Uh, we want to encounter you, the Living God, uh, here and now, uh, and be transformed by you and by your Word. So we ask. We ask, would you do so? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, In 1989, uh, there was a commercial. A white Lamborghini pulls up. You may may remember it, right? Through the the fuzz of your old 1989 TV, whatever that that looked like. White Lamborghini pulls up. The door opens. Uh, and a good-looking young man, 19-year-old kid, steps out and kind of drops his sunglasses and says a phrase that will become synonymous with his name, image is everything, right? This is uh, Andre Agassi. He was just a kid. Uh, he had gone pro just a few years early. He went pro uh, uh, in the ATP tour as a 16-year-old. And uh, he was known for being sort of brash and having his own style. And he got an endorsement deal with, I think it was Canon cameras. Um, and they said, here's, here's your line, image is everything. And he said it. 
and it stuck. And we got a few pictures of Andre, uh, just so you can, just in case you don't remember. Yeah, the Canon Rebel X, which just the Rebel X too is like, mm, maybe not the best plan for him. I got, he had a autobiography that came out, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And uh, he was actually pinning that hair in at some point because his image had become uh, everything to him, uh, basically. He didn't love that he that got pinned to him, but um, it became his identity on some level, right? Uh, his image became his identity and this idea that he cared about image above all else just stuck to him like glue. So obviously we're talking about image today. Uh, we're talking about the image of God, and it relates. We're in this series. This is our second week in a series in Genesis we're calling Rooted, and uh, we're going to come back to Genesis several more times uh, throughout the year. We'll just kind of alternate again between Mark and Genesis, and uh, next month we'll get into Colossians, so we'll come back and forth in between these two. So Rooted will be a, a series for us uh, several times this year uh, because we're learning to read Genesis well. Uh, the very beginnings of the Bible uh, are there on purpose to root us uh, in right understandings of God, in right understandings of our purpose, uh, where to find life, et cetera. And so we talked about this last week. There'll be a little bit of, little bit of overview here, but right, the Genesis has, has been a book uh, that people have used for agendas a whole lot. And maybe you've experienced that. Uh, when Genesis gets used as an agenda, really from any side, uh, again, mentioned this last week, but if you can think of a perspective, uh, there's a reading of Genesis uh, to try to support that perspective as an agenda, right? And that just makes people want to run uh, from whatever perspective that is. Um, and so maybe you've experienced that somehow, some way. Uh, our aim will be certainly not to use Genesis as an agenda, right? Not to use Genesis as raw data to just try to back up what we want to say already, but instead to look at it for what it is. It's truly a story. It's a narrative. It's a narrative of beginnings that God brings us into. And just again, as we said last week, there's a lot that we can know. There's a lot that God tells us in and through this story. But there's also a fair amount of mystery. It's a fair amount of mystery. And so we want to hold that intention right, and not turn Genesis into a book that's uh, entirely something uh, that we can be fully certain about every little bit of what it means, but hold intention the mystery that we think God placed there on purpose. Right? We're never going to fully comprehend God and all that he is, all of eternity is going to be pursuing him and knowing him more and more and more. And so we shouldn't be surprised that his story will have things that we're just going to be learning about more and more and more uh, forever. So I'm going to just invite you back into this, right? Invite you back into the narrative here in this second week. Uh, if Genesis has been something that's kind of tough for you to read and get into, uh, if certain readings of Genesis feel like, oh, want to do the Heisman to that, uh, right? Now, let me just invite you in, suspend disbelief for a moment, perhaps, the same way that you would with any narrative and any story. Let's step into this mystery together. 
Let's see what God has for us. Remember, uh, the writing of this is uh, to God's people, Israel, in the desert, to Moses, uh, as they have come out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the Red Sea. Uh, God is giving them a word about uh, history itself, about their specific history, about uh, the beliefs, the practices, the relationships that he wanted to root them into uh, in order to be uh, his image, his reflection in the promised land, etc. They had their moral laws, their their rhythms, their rituals, uh, and narratives, and it's all pointing to something even more than what's right in front of them there in the desert, isn't it? It's all pointing them to something greater, the need for one to come, a greater Moses, a savior, all pointing forward uh, to Jesus. And so we are uh, reading this, seeking to understand it in its original context, but also reading it, understanding that it has its fuller meaning in Christ Jesus. A few things we see in the passage, it's pretty simple. God has created humans in his image. It specifically says that in verse 26, doesn't it? Uh, and, and think about this for a moment. God is telling this to escaped slaves. God is speaking this into this community that's on the run, or was, <laughs> until the Red Sea closed up anyway. Right? <laughs> uh, they've come out of an entire lifetime of being owned, uh, of being deep in oppression. When they complained, it was more bricks, less straw, right? They had no dignity in Egypt where they weren't given any. Uh, they, They had no purpose in Egypt other than make bricks. You cog in a machine, build our empire. And God is saying to them something really revolutionary, something profound. Uh, Even in the ancient Near Eastern creation stories, we talked last week about how, how God creates a world that is not yet fully ordered, but it's not utter chaos either. Is it that the ancient Near Eastern creation stories were chaos? The world springs out of violence between the gods or somehow between elements that sprung into existence on their own somehow, right? The world uh, springs into existence out of chaos, according to the ancient Near Eastern creation myths, but not the God of the Bible. He creates something that is Uh, yet unformed, and then he starts putting it in order, doesn't he? He starts taking uh, dark and light and uh, the waters above and the waters below, et cetera, right? And so uh, it's different. He's speaking something very, very different. And he's, again, speaking to people who have been in slavery that you're more than that. He's speaking to people who have been in slavery, who, again, all of the creation myths around them said, not only are you a a slave of the Pharaoh, you're a slave of the gods. Whatever it was in Egypt, Ra or whoever, whatever it was in Babylon, you're you're playthings for the gods. You're slaves for their pleasures, essentially. It's really wild. Uh, There was a a Christianity Today article uh, that was uh, just this month that talks about the same thing. You could go check that out. Really good. Uh, But but 
Yahweh says, no, you're not just a plaything for God. No, 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 no. Uh, we find our purpose in his glory. Uh, we find our dignity in his glory, right? And, and we're created, as we said last week, for love. It's totally different. And so we're, we're in his image. People are a living reflection of God somehow. If I walk down the streets of this town, some people will know who I am, not just because they know me. That's my hometown. Uh, and there have been people that have said to my dad at one point, I saw some kid walking down the street and it had to be your son. Was he at such and such at such and such a time? And they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> Right? I am on some level a living reflection of my dad. Uh, I kind of look like him. My mannerisms manner or uh, reflect him. The, the way that I walk, the way that I hold my posture, everything, I have either learned from him or my mom uh, or is genetically encoded in me. If there's some original stuff, sure, but... <laughs> There's some original stuff that they don't take credit for, uh, <laughs> right? But I, I'm a living reflection of him. Here's something even wilder. Uh, my father's father uh, left their family when he was very young. He has hardly any memories of his father. Uh, and the man pastored a church at one point. And my dad was in a store one time and some woman stopped him and said, you're Jimmy Moore's son, aren't you? He's a, he's a grown man. I'm going to be honest. I don't think my dad looks like his dad very much. I've seen the pictures. I'm like, dude, you better, much better looking than him. <laughs> you kidding? Uh, but just his mannerisms. Uh, this woman had been in that church decades before and said, you're Jimmy Moore's son, aren't you? A living reflection. That's what we are. We're, we're a living reflection of God uh, just in being created in his image, regardless of, of whether one follows uh, God or not. He's created us this way. The second thing we see, though, is that God has created humans to image him to the world. And so we're using image here as a verb. So we are a living reflection. We are an image of God, and, and we have been created to image God to the world as well, to show the world what God is like. How do we see that uh, here in the scripture? It says in verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that. So that's how you know what image means, by the way. So if you've grown up in the church and like you've heard multiple ideas of what the image of God means, et cetera, there are all kinds of crazy ideas out there, right? Just point people to the Bible, <laughs> right? The context of the Bible will almost always answer the questions. There are parts of the Bible that are really hard to read that frankly, you need to know Greek and Hebrew really well to figure out. It's not every single portion of the Bible is like, oh, I'm a Christian, I got it. <laughs> right? But there's a whole lot of it that just context will tell you. Context will answer the question for you. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Hebrew and Greek, right? But generally speaking, I'm not trying to drop Hebrew and Greek stuff on you so that I look impressive and so you got a nugget to drop in your Bible study, right? It's usually a trick, 
<laughs> not that anyone doing it is uh, disingenuous, but you know, usually the Bible explains the Bible in context. There are some things where you need to know a little bit more, right? But generally speaking, there are phrases like, so that. Oh, okay. Well, that's what it means. So that they may rule. That's what the image of God means. Yeah. Uh, there's, it, it, it's a big concept here, but the, the general idea here is God uh, makes man in his image, right? Uh, and he says he makes man uh, male and female, right? So he's talking about humanity, mankind, man. We can use it in that uh, sort of sense, right? So that they may rule. And then again in verse 27, then he makes man in his image, male and female. He says it specifically there. That's cool, right? And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule. That's the idea, dominion. And so it's, it's not a, a heavy-handed ruling. Gosh, can we even hear that word and not have a little bit of like, rule? But what, what if it's not a nice person? <laughs> right? and what if it's someone who wants to rule uh, for their own glory? Well, that was God's concern, uh, right? But the, here's the idea is dominion. God created humanity to have dominion over the earth. And, and so that means a few different things. It's not just an administrator, right? Just not just administer the earth. It's one with, uh, for one with rational capacities that reflect the image of God. Uh, so it's, it's, we're not only distinct from the animal creation, Right? So not, not merely that we have uh, brains that can do different things, but we're, uh, we're endowed with the capacity and the responsibility for gentle, loving, reflective of God, care and rule and dominion. Think about the way that you, uh, if, you're, if you're into horticulture at all, right? Think about the way that you prune. Uh, the way that you care for your plants, you're making sure they're getting the right amount of water and sun and nutrients, et cetera, right? When you really care about something, if you're the kind who kills all plants like me, I'll think of another illustration for us uh, somewhere in here, I think. But when you, you care for something, you're paying attention, aren't you? You're just smacking it around. You're, you're gentle. You're loving on some level, even with inanimate type stuff. Uh, that's what uh, is happening here. We're, we are bearers of certain divine attributes for this role of lovingly, gently reflecting the beauty of God to the world. Uh, I'll get into that more in a second. Right. So uh, ordering the earth, that's what's happening here. Ordering the earth is a theological issue. It's a theological issue, right? This is not, Genesis is not a book about biology, but theology, first and foremost. Now, there may be some trickle-down in the sciences. There may be some trickle-down in history. There is, right? But what God is talking about is himself. What God is saying is a spiritual, theological thing here. And so you got to get the main thing in the main spot in order to understand any of uh, what else it might mean. Right? Uh, this cannot be done. The ordering of the earth, uh, even from the very beginning, cannot be done from an atheological 
uh, non-spiritual place. That is what God is telling us by telling us that we were created in God's image. And the reason that we were created in, in God's image is to rule, to have dominion. Remember, he creates an earth that's not fully formed, not fully ordered yet, is it? And then he starts this process of ordering. And then he makes a garden and puts a gardener in it to bring order. And only Eden was that garden. Only Eden was pristine. The rest of creation needed this ordering. Uh, my dude, Tim Keller, uh, says that, therefore, what you're seeing here is that gardening is a type. Right? This, this work that God gave to those first people, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, uh, it, it, it's actually a type. It's something that should tell us about how we go forth in our lives and our work, etc. Gardening is a type that shows us what human work is to be, to rearrange the raw materials of earth for human flourishing. That's what it is. Right? Uh, they have dominion and they are to rearrange the raw materials of earth for human flourishing, which humans find in the worship of God. And David marvels at this. Psalm 8, verses three through six, he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, and yet you've made him just a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with honor and glory. You've given dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And so in terms of the role, what's going on here, God placing uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, it, he is placing a gardener there, but he is placing a king there. He is placing Adama, earth, dirt, Soil is the name from which, or the word from which we get Adam. There, I threw some Hebrew at you, right? Uh, uh, he, he creates one out of the dirt and breathes his spirit into him that he might be the representative, the king over this soil, over this place, this earth. Uh, Adam is to be uh, a priestly king not just ruling according to his own glory, but ruling in such a way uh, that brings all of creation into worshiping God. And there's some level where there's, he's prophetic as well because uh, reflecting who and what God is to the creation uh, is uh, what we think of in terms of prophecy. And so there, there's this sense where Adam is placed on the earth and, and literally just this concept of image is telling us this as a prophet, priest, and king. That should ring some bells for you because there's another one that comes a little later and does it right. Third thing is this, God has created humans as an image of his beauty and excellency in the world. God saw all that he had made and it was what? Yeah. Very good. Everything, day one, man, that's good. Day two, that's good. Day three, good, 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 good. He gets to the last day. And we'll talk about what the days are all about uh, in a couple of weeks, by the way, right? I left you hanging a little bit last week, didn't I? But last day, he creates humanity. He creates man, male and female, and says, 
very good, exceedingly good, right? Uh, this is the capstone of creation. That's what man and woman are all about here. It's not, it's not nature. That's not what he's saying. It's not, hey, boy, sure I'm glad I finished all that up. It's very good. I finished all of, all of it up with humanity uh, at the top. Very good. Look at these images for a second, just a, a few images of the majesty of nature. You're better than that. <laughs> You're better than that. You display the beauty and the majesty and the excellency of God better than mountains, uh, better than the most beautiful blue waters and oceans. You. God created you to display him. And think about this for a moment. I mean, you know, those pictures were really cool, weren't they? I mean, they're taken by uh, professional photographers. <laughs> the lighting's all right. Amazing. You, you, maybe you've gone to a national park, Yosemite or something, or, and you've just been in the midst of the glory of God's creation. Like, wow, this is awesome, right? It's amazing. But you do not know that there is a God of love just by looking at that unless you knew something before walking in, right? Unless you knew something about God before walking into that national park, you don't look at mountains and say, there must be a God of love. You might be awestruck. You might be amazed, uh, but you can only be reminded of the love of God when you walk into places like that. And that's why we are because we've heard something about this one. We've heard that he has come for us. We've heard that he has created in order to love. And so we go to the ocean and say, wow, we know what was supposed to tell the world about it. First and foremost, humanity, man, woman. Uh, there's an artist named Mako Fujimura. I think I've mentioned him in a sermon before. You may be familiar uh, with him. Uh, he's uh, an artist. Uh, he used to be in New York. I think he's in uh, New Jersey right now. It does some really incredible stuff. He's been very influenced uh, by the Japanese art of kintsugi, uh, which is where um, basically if something is broken, you may have heard about this before, uh, they repair it with gold. And so uh, there's a painting, I think, uh, that we've got from him. I don't know if you can see that real well. It's very abstract, uh, but he starts oftentimes with scripture uh, as his inspiration and creates these abstract works of art using gold leaf, et cetera, and just creating these uh, incredible things. And he also does uh, some writing, which is really, really good, uh, talking about uh, where creativity and faith uh, intersect. And he says this, I may have uh, even dropped this in a sermon once before, but uh, Fujimura says, God did not build us as survival machines that would function like clockwork. We're creatures of magnificence and imagination made in the image of God. 
think of that uh, idea of rearranging the raw materials of earth, whatever uh, that might be for us in our spheres, right? It may be physical, literal earth for you. It may be uh, the principles of mathematics. It may be uh, that you are using things that have uh, been built off of the raw materials of, of earth, like uh, paints, etc. You may be doing literal art, uh, but nonetheless, we are, we are taking what God has given us, creatively rearranging for human flourishing. And so, you know, you, you think about all this stuff, you talk about all this stuff, we're made to image God, yeah, but we lost that, didn't we? We lost a lot of it, at least. Uh, the scriptures say that we see through a glass dimly on some level, right? The image of God in humanity is marred deeply. Uh, Adam and Eve threw away their calling. And so that's why uh, when we throw up pictures of uh, awesome scenes of nature and I say, hey, you reflect God better than that. There probably was like a question mark in your head for a half second at least, right? Like, mm, really? Are you sure? Because mountains don't lie to nobody, <laughs> right? Uh, oceans have not been known to betray not a technical sense anyway, right? Uh, but it's still there. The image of God uh, is, is still there. It's marred greatly, but still there. Genesis 5, there's this deliberate echo uh, that Moses gives us. He says that Adam has a son named Seth. And Seth is in his image, in his likeness. And so it continues on. Uh, it's greatly marred, but it continues on. Uh, and then, of course, we see that Jesus comes and he accomplishes all. He is the, the perfect king, the perfect priest, the perfect prophet on our behalf uh, and takes our penalty uh, for our rebellion and our desiring to be God. And so then he uh, restores to those who have faith in him uh, this unique uh, place where uh, we step back into that calling uh, in a new way. All of humanity still reflects God's image, though it may be marred, but then stepping into faith in Jesus, we rediscover the purpose of God, that God created for us to receive and relay his love in the world, in Christ Jesus. And he's renewing all and bringing us into this. We're included in it all as well. And so because uh, Jesus is this perfect image of God, uh, those who are in Jesus by faith image God again, even greater. So last week we talked about uh, God has created in order to love. And so let's, let's step into trusting this loving God. And trusting that loving God means that we move forward to image him, to reflect him uh, where we are. And so there's, there's individual and collective applications for us in that. How is God calling you individually to bring order to the chaos? How's God calling you to bring order to the chaos in your world, in your sphere? For the most part, that is gonna play out in our workplaces, right? Right? Uh, and, and if you're home with kids, 
that's your workplace too. Don't forget that. The faith and work talk applies to all of it, doesn't it? Uh, It applies to our relationships. It applies to all sorts of things, but we spend a whole lot of time uh, in our work. And so uh, what's it look like for you to bring redemptive order into the chaos in and through your work? And uh, let me remind us too, that it's redemptive order. It's from trust in the good news, trust in the gospel, from love of Jesus, therefore ordering, right? Uh, it, it, it's If it's love of order itself, that's not quite the same thing. It's not quite the same thing, right? You're just going to eventually get ticked off that people are not conforming to what you think the order should be. And I promise you, they are not going to, <laughs> right? It's going to get frustrating. Guarantee that. Uh, but good news uh, motivated ordering is also gonna result in good news opportunities. We are bringing uh, order in our place for human flourishing. Uh, That is gonna result in opportunities to talk about, why do you care? Why are you spending extra time? Uh, Why are you doing this with love? Why are you being kind to me right now? I've just been a jerk to you. Why are you apologizing and repenting? Everything in this workplace is about looking good. Why have you chosen, we talked about in our little community group this past week, to be the chief repenter in this place? I think that's a lot of what uh, being uh, gospel-motivated order bringers right? Uh, For the flourishing of humanity. I think that's a lot of what that looks like. There's also the question of uh, how is God calling us collectively to bring order to the chaos? Uh, And I think uh, those are questions that we need to uh, dive into together over time. But certainly, it's a collective bringing the good news to Athens. Certainly, that's part of it, right? that all of Athens might flourish in faith. Certainly, uh, it's a collective that is praying for uh, God's kingdom to come, his will to be done here in Athens, in this this area, that all of Athens might flourish in compassion. Certainly, it's a collective working uh, for acknowledging the image of God uh, in vulnerable peoples, that all of Athens might flourish injustice as well, right? Uh, I think Agassiz stumbled onto something, right? That uh, image is everything. It really is. It's our very purpose, right? Though uh, we're broken, we're marred, we do not image God perfectly, even when we step into faith in Christ and begin owning it in this new way. uh, Nonetheless, God is calling us into this imaging of him. And others will find life in and through it. You know, there's there's a reason that a lot of our talk here at Christ Community over the past year or so has been about flourishing. Uh, and, And it's real tied to this. That this is what it means for us to move into our spheres redemptively, right? Uh, to uh, 
to work as gardeners, so to speak, uh, where we work, uh, where we live with our families, where we play, where we hang out, to see flourishing come about. And uh, we aren't quite done with all this, by the way. There's some, some more things that are happening, but it's a little bit of what this is too, right? If we need a backdrop, let's tie it in with some things that, that we're gonna talk about, right? Uh, that what we're about is cultivating, cultivating uh, and ordering, uh, rearranging the raw materials that God gives us, stewarding them for flourishing here uh, where we are. And there's some really cool stuff in the Bible about that, not only in Genesis, but in Isaiah, uh, where Isaiah is looking forward to this day of the Lord. He says, they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so there's this blacksmithing imagery of uh, getting that sword super hot and beating this metal and reshaping it into something else. So it's, it's blacksmithing, but I imagine this idea of the broken things of this world being remade, like the concept of kintsugi, right? Where they, they take a bowl that's broken and they, they use this gold and they remake it into something somehow even more beautiful than it was at the start. What God is up to in the world. That's what God is up to in you. That's what God is up to in and through us, his people. And I love this little paraphrase of it by the Porter's Gate. Um, they have a song that says, every weapon made for war, every gun and every sword, will be melted in the flame to be used for gardening. That's what God is calling us into. That's what God is calling us into. Let's pray. Lord, we ask uh, that you would press that into our hearts. Uh, perhaps the gardening metaphor for some of us is more difficult. And for some of us, it's gonna be real simple. Uh, but nonetheless, you've given it to us for a reason. And so we want to uh, wrap our minds and our hearts around that as much as we can and begin to think of ourselves as cultivating uh, your flourishing in the world and, and really just specifically right here, right now uh, in Athens and in Watkinsville, Clark County and Oconee County, uh, and the areas of Jackson and Oglethorpe, and I don't even remember what the other one is. I'm still new to town. Give me grace, Lord. Uh, but we want it. We want to see this flourishing uh, in in whole ways. This is another word we've been talking about. We want to see flourishing across the board. We want to see flourishing for folks who are coming into your kingdom, who are finding real life in Christ Jesus. And we want to see flourishing for vulnerable people as well. Folks, regardless of, of what they uh, choose to do with their lives, uh, that, that we would be those who love them, who care for them, and who image that you to them, uh, regardless of that as well, in your gentle care and your love. We pray these names, things in Christ Jesus. Amen.